Last time on PlayQuest. Oh, thanks. Yeah, uh, uh, the name's Reynard. Uh, hello, Reynard. <laughs> I've more or less been alone my whole life. Uh, you know, I, I just can't want a friend, really. A friend? That is something I can do. I've been looking for a friend, too. Well, that's quite serendipitous, I think, right? Dude, you can't use... If you're going to be my friend, you can't talk like that. Upon seeing this unicorn, Drew Deer's going to scream, Fill up! I knew we'd meet again, Drew Deer. Uh, you have great strength. It is It is nothing to help uh, another. It is everything to help another. Uh, you hear Hieronymus barking wildly. And you hear Inga shout with a kind of terror that you that you haven't heard him on this entire trip shout. Hieronymus, run! The forest is quieted, and the sun is rising, but you're alone, and your guide is dead. I, I look at that, and I'm just like, dang, that was a fucked up bear, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone, and welcome to PlayQuest. This is our third episode. We hope you enjoyed the first two, but we're going to take a slightly different format in this one than the uh, more heavy-handed format of the last two. We're going to talk a little bit about who we are as PlayQuest, talk more about the characters and the mechanics of the game, and let you get to know the characters a little bit more. I'm Nick, your host and DM for our first arc. This is a, this is a Dungeons & Dragons campaign called The Veil. And let's introduce the players. Hi, I'm Liz, and I play Drew Deer who is a druid with a magical unicorn named Philip. Hi, I'm Harrison, and I play Bast, who is a half-elf paladin who doesn't get it. <laughs> Hi, uh, I'm Cal, and I play Felix, who is a half-elf uh, rogue urchin who is probably going to get into trouble. Hi, I'm Chuck. I play the sorcerer Winthrop Pittman, and I'm ready to get even with this forest. Hi, I'm Kyle, and I play the half-orc barbarian ukog and i currently have 25 hit points god <laughs> that's too many can you have too many hit points <laughs> that's broken we're level oh, oh we're oh. level two oh, we found the person who has level, level up yeah. <laughs> uh, mm. <laughs> yeah let me do that uh-oh character maintenance well uh, that's maybe a good place to start then guys um <laughs> Uh, why, why, Kyle? Are you? Do you have twenty-five hit points? Uh, so in our last episode, everybody started off at level one, but uh, now through your encounters and adventures in the forest, uh, you guys have acquired enough experience to go to level two. Indeed. Uh, so uh, yeah, why don't you guys like uh, say a little bit more about your characters? Uh, sort of uh, who they are, what what uh, what classes you guys are going for. Um, uh, we we've kind of tailored uh, the story a little bit to. To, to our, uh, our our characters and their choices of their classes, so we were going for this more spooky eldritch horror kind of vibe over here in the in the forest. And uh, many of these guys have got the uh, the backgrounds to to uh, back that up story wise, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So uh, <clears throat> you know, as a as a barbarian, they generally have the most hit points in the game. And, uh, you know, I roll 1d12 plus my constitution modifier, which gives me a plus three. And uh, I started out with 12 hit points just as a first level character and then rolled really well. Um, but uh, I'm looking at so the the barbarians get primal paths at level three, which are sort of like special specializations for them. Um, and to kind of fit in with the theme, I've planning on the path of the ancestral guardian 
um, which mm. sort of is a uh, a little bit different. I don't think people use this one as often, but uh, so my character has a um, like sort of revere their ancestors, their tribal, they give themselves tattoos and uh, they use the help of spectral warriors when they're fighting. So in this case, your your ancestors are are Liz's character. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. I like. Uh, I I did not. Oh, no, I'm sorry, that, but it's like. No, I was just funny. making a joke that that like for for whatever reason, uh, every everybody loves Drew Deer, like that the the podcast uh, and and not everybody has listened to this. I've I've been editing uh, the first episode so far, but at this point, um, yeah, we, the episode one could have also been titled like. Uh, uh, hey, it's Drew Deer, <laughs> or something like that. Every every everybody is just really happy and to cozy up to <laughs> to the turtle. It's because turtles are the shit. Exactly. I mean, like, I didn't realize it was a thing, um, and until like we were we were running through it, and just the idea of like this old fucking decrepit <laughs> turtle, just like. <laughs> Yes, this cracks me up. Yeah, Liz, is that how you you would have described Drew Deer? I would not have described him as decrepit, nor I think would he have felt that that was true. (laughs) (laughs) He's still at his prime. He's only 320. Mm. That sounds old. Tortles mate at the end of their life, so he hasn't even gotten around to that yet. I I was really wondering where you were going with that. (laughs) I'm glad you clarified. So if you not. get a Tinder account, should we be really <laughs> worried? Right. <laughs> right? Yes. Oh no, there's Juju doesn't have much time left, right? So, so Kyle actually brought up an interesting point about his character. Did I hear you correctly that you are randomly rolling for your level hit points? Yes. So I had been using. So I think we had been using different rules. So we in, we, we had we know we hadn't established that. Uh, prior to this, sorry, that was my bad for an email. Uh, I'm I'm open. What do you guys want to do? Here, here are the options. As God, um, you can you can randomly roll your rolls. Has gone to your head. Um, yeah, well, well, <laughs> right. This uh, the 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 magical world I created to, for you guys to sandbox play around in is is, is yes, um, it's in my head. Um, uh, yeah. So you guys can either roll or you can take the average. Um, but you can't. But you, but but we need to choose now. I already rolled, so oh, that's. I thought what you I'm could doing. do either or every time. No, no, well, you know that's a good question. That's something you ask. <laughs> not a, <laughs> not according We're to Nick. The rules for him. Well, I mean, what do you, what do you mean either or? Like you just need to choose. Yeah, each time? level you choose. Like if Am I going to take like for me? It's a seven. Okay. I'm I'm happy. Oh, or if you want to, or if you want to yeah. roll the dice, yeah. Okay, but it's not. There's nothing retroactive. Okay, I'm fine with that so long as they are publicly made. So long as we do them on the podcast. Uh, That's uh, what I was gonna say. That, that I want to pick the yeah. third option of rolling for them and just coming on next week and saying like I rolled really high. Yeah, Kyle. Yep. I'm exclusively rolling off screen just to be clear. So I, yeah, I also I, I also I know maxed that, out my roll. <laughs> I also know that Kyle is using. Uh, a, a system that I don't know if we can actually say. I guess you can say, yeah, you can say that you're using D and D Beyond. Yeah. Um, that that Kyle is using D and D Beyond. Um, that that I know that is is randomly rolling it for him on the thing. So I mm. I trust I trust it for today for the sake of time. <laughs> we can move on. But if others 
would like would like that option if they have not yet taken it. Um, you can do that now. I'm cool with it. Yeah, I, f- I found out the last uh, character that I did the average with consistently uh, ended up having like significantly less health in the long run, and it it really kind of was painful after well, a certain point. So yeah, the, like well, Cal, the <laughs> reason that your character had less health at the end is because you make horrific role playing decisions and die literally <laughs> every single time. <laughs> had three characters in our in our previous campaign it was a year and a half though in defense of the campaign How, well, <laughs> that's so true it's a long time so every six months colin needed to make a new character and uh how often do the rest of us make a new character every 18 uh, months for me. zero yeah, times for me bro <laughs> zero times <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I only betrayed you guys once, so I feel like that one doesn't count. Oh, that counts. Double. I mean, it does count. It counts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it counts. Like you're you're turning out to be a reliable traitor, I guess. There, given your behavior from last time, uh, do you want to do you want to maybe explain a little bit about what's going on there? Oh, um, so no, I, I guess I just imagine that Felix has spent the vast majority of his life abandoned and alone and left to his own devices. Like, it, you could just, like, a real, like, sort of street child, uh, so to speak. And when I rolled his stats, um, well, like, or determined his stats or whatever, uh, I, I intentionally didn't make him a really good, uh, like rogue in a traditional sense like i i only have like a plus one bonus to my decks like i I like the idea that he was um sort of like uh intuitive uh because he's got a decent intelligence and wisdom and has like a kind of failing uh charisma like because he has a decent bonus in that um and that 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 would be how he's made it along but that i I don't know i guess it it turns out that the, the story for felix is that he he feels alone and that everybody hates him basically that he's like you know like sort of rejected by society like i I imagine felix lived most of his life um sort of hiding in the bottom of the library of luft um reading books and wondering why he's alone how how did he learn to read (laughs) um that's a good question that i never bothered to ask myself i'm just kidding we'll find out (laughs) well and uh now uh, everybody, everybody knows though no one else's character does besides Felix isn't alone anymore. He's got a buddy now. He's got Reynard, uh, and that's because you're gonna. You're- um, the idea is to to multi class uh, into a, a spell cluster. Um, spell 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 cluster. Is that a thing? Um, no. Yeah, it's to um, sort of like jump into um, a, a warlock basically um, because it would be sort of like magic from. Mr. Fox, basically, uh, and that, that I don't, you know, have full control over in some way, um, because I thought I thought the idea of like a, a rogue plus a spellcaster is not a naturally good fit, and that that would make for interesting stories, um, and the the mechanical disadvantage, at least early on, in some ways, would make it more interesting to play. Maybe that's a really good time to talk to somebody who has the precise opposite philosophy about everything. <laughs> Uh, Harrison, what the fuck's up with Bass? Who's that guy? I I totally knew that you were gonna call on me next. (laughs) With that, that yeah. So Bass is 
uh, not going to be multi-classing. Not because I think that multi-classing is bad. I just, um, I tend to like single classing. I think it's, I mean, I'm one of those people that when I'm planning out a character or thinking up a character and their story, um, I sort of, my eyes go to like the very end of the class columns of like the goodies they get at the highest levels. So even when you can make really, really good or intentionally less good characters by multi-classing, I tend to uh, steer away from that because I am, I'm sort of seduced by all of the different things that you could have gotten in one class if you'd stuck to it, whether or not it's mechanically superior to multi-classing. So, I'm, yeah, I am right there with you. Like, all I want to do is hurry to get the best of a character, and, like, getting more level one stuff has no appeal to me. Yeah. Again, I, not that it's wrong, um, just, like, that it it's never held appeal for me. I've never multi-classed, and, like, no, I don't have much desire to do it. Yeah, I'm always like, when when can I cast Wish? Or like, how soon until I can cast Wish? Like, how many levels? Exactly. I, I don't want to delay exactly. that at all. So I find multi-classing in D&D 5e, like, really good. Like, to, to be a very easy thing to do. I wonder how much of, like, uh, Harrison and, and Chuck, like, we've, we've all been playing D&D together, and we, we've all... Uh, we're playing 3.5 and a number of things for a while. I wonder how much of, like, the, the anti-multi-classing thing is, like a hangover from the like uh, Herculean effort it took to do the math yeah, like in 3.5 <laughs> and stuff just to I guess do that. That was pretty difficult. Uh, just yeah. just speaking for myself, I, I'm someone who I think uh, finds it very easy to get into like the math and the accounting behind a character. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'm one of the players who like really likes the accounting side of it. So like if you were to ask me whether or not Bast was currently over his carrying capacity, I could tell you because I've written down everything he's carrying and their weights. The worst and rule. And I've, and I've figured out, based on his strength, exactly how much he can carry before being encumbered, and he is not because that would be bad to be encumbered. I, I was, I was uh, so, about to say, so, the, the question I think I should ask you as a paladin is, like, uh, ought I ask you that question or should I, should I, you know, should I just trust you on the honor system? <laughs> you... You could trust me on the honor system. I'm not playing an honorable paladin uh, because I'm going to, I haven't picked my, I haven't officially in character terms picked my multi, my uh, specialization for the paladin because that doesn't happen until level three, but I'm actually uh, going to be playing a vengeance paladin, which I like the flavoring on the vengeance paladin a lot because uh, unlike the sort of stereotypical um, holy avenger of a paladin, the vengeance paladin is more morally flexible and sort of is driven by a single mission, but because they're so driven by that mission and that vow uh, towards vengeance, they can sort of allow for some wiggle room uh, on the on the periphery to do some morally questionable things if it will get them where they need to go in the long run. So playing my vengeance paladin, uh, I could lie to the DM about my carrying capacity if it was in the name of the greater good of getting vengeance on my sworn enemies. Oh. <laughs> That's so meta. <laughs> Weird. You could lie you could lie to yeah, the DM. I'm, I'm playing the vengeance paladin all the way down. It's just turtles all the way down. <laughs> That's right. I don't know. I don't I don't I don't know how you guys can do it where you just play the one class hundred percent the way through. I think the subclass thing makes it um kind of 
kind of more interesting. They're almost like prestige classes, but they happen sooner um, and they affect you for longer, I guess, in a certain way. Um, but I, I find it just like really restrictive. Like I, I can't handle being like shoehorned into like the one approach that, you know, like some classes have and some are, some are more restrictive than others, obviously. But like, yeah, I just, I need those options, yo. Like what, what do you mean by the one approach? Are you talking about like the mechanics of a class or are you talking about the, um, sort of theming behind like what your motivation is or what kind of a character you are, or where your power comes from, or is it both? No, I think it's both. Yeah. So, cause, um, cause the mechanics, you know, like some classes will like, and as they come up with new subclasses, obviously this is alleviated to some degree, but like, um, with the, some classes it's 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 a very particular role that i feel like you're intended to play i feel like fifth edition is more open-ended about this than third i think third is actually really bad for this and i i really liked third you know back in the day but like the idea of sticking with that one class all the way to 20th or something was like anathema to me and then i i mean not just like what role you serve but like the part that plays in the narrative I, yeah i think definitely both but i i guess i'm also just like um, I hate being tied down. <laughs> I that, yeah, I guess multi-classing will let you change those things up, but I think that 5th edition really does let you play almost any class and play it either with or against type. So I think that like the multi-class options for most classes, if you thought of like a sort of stereotypical 3rd edition or 3.5 paladin, I think that the Vengeance paladin or the different multi-classes let you play the stereotypical paladin or different paladins. And I think that for, I feel that way about many of the classes um, with the multi-class option or sorry, with the, with the subclass options that uh, fifth edition provides you. Oh yeah. Fair, fair enough. You know, from my perspective, like I've usually just stick to one class and that's just because I'm too lazy to Google like <laughs> what classes work really well together. And like occasionally I'm like, oh man, when I like my last monk character, I was like, he gets to do some really cool stuff. Like, you know, walking on water came up like once in our game, but I was super pumped to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, but sometimes I'm just like, I only look at like the first, like, um, like third level, what the subclass does. And I don't even look at the other steps of the subclass till like I get to them. You know, for me, it's, um, it's interesting, Cal, it's, you know, it sounds like you, the thing you appreciate about multi-classing is the creativity that it lends. And to me, that's one of the things I really like about the kind of class system in D&D is that like, in, in many ways, it restricts um, your, the like ways in which you solve problems in a way that it allows you to be creative. Um, you know, it's the the proverbial, like, um, you know, it puts a boundary on, or or a box in which to play in, uh... um, and and I think like that is one of the reasons that I don't um, that that it hasn't appealed to me. And again, like a, I want to be very clear, there's like there's nothing wrong about it. It's just like not um, it's not the like choice that I I've made with the characters that I've played. And and you know, I think one of the things about the characters in general I've played is they. Um, they've kind of been tied to some past um, and in many ways the class that they are is a um, is an expression of that past 
um, that they that they've had and and that that like the class is kind of their their own personal history so how much would you say you like does the background for you chuck really play into that is that all you base it on or do you like decide like oh i want to do spell casting this time or something like to that totally the the latter um i like decide what kind of character i want to play and then like kind of um as i'm starting to roll it up and starting to like look at all of the different things that they can do um it just kind of emerges um you know i, th I think of like um the last character i played uh, a barbarian um, and like just deciding, you know, I, I, I kind of knew I wanted to be a barbarian, but I knew that, um, you know, I, I wanted to be from somewhere different. I wanted to be, um, you know, I wanted to have this kind of like uh, nautical past. Um, and so like the way that where they grow up, where they um, the kind of people that they're around, all of those sorts of things really tie in and and. I think of those things as like the channel for whatever, um, you know, kind of special skills. And especially in, in a and d world where um, the characters that we play have s skills that are unique or, um, or like outstanding to the rest of the game world that like there has to be some kind of story behind that, that, that I want to like interact with and play with. Yeah, I think I think maybe that's the most important pa a part uh, about what we do. You know, it's yeah. it's this sort of like, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head. So it's like this activity of learning who your character is. Like you obviously have some idea, yeah. you know, to start, but you explore that character by sort of like inhabiting them for a while. And and I guess I I totally get the idea of like that the restrictions create like in some ways an opportunity for art because it because that's true in other forms of art like like poetry like having like a specific rhyme and rhythm and stuff or um even i, I remember a couple of professors uh when i first when first went to school um college that is um talking real, about real how the more <laughs> real school yeah sorry no i mean the other school is is also real school um but they didn't give me this specific advice um, <laughs> but is that the more specific the topic that you take in some ways the more you have to write and i thought the first time i heard that i thought that was horseshit yeah. um but it was it was kind of true like i was like when, once i pick something really really finite like it's true like you 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 get all of this sort of like um sort of like structural uh bits that you can that you can play with and and otherwise it's it's so open-ended like it's hard to tie down and i guess part of the problem in this like in terms of not wanting to be tied down is i i've always enjoyed like a kind of a jack of all trades like someone right. who can handle a lot of things right. but maybe it can't do some things really really well and it I think that, like, when I started playing D&D, it was, like, atypical. Like, it was me and, like, one other person. So it was either I was going to fix the problem or I was going to die. Right. <laughs> you know, just me and my brother, you know? Yeah, that's interesting. It is, it is always interesting how people's different, like, gaming experiences play, like, play out in those cases. So, you know, I started playing um, with most of these guys in college, and so we had a large party and it meant that every one of us could be, you know, pretty specified characters. And that's it, an interesting um, point, Cal, about how, you know, he, because you played with a small party, it meant you wanted to have broad characters. And maybe because I started playing with a large party, it meant I wanted to have like 
a niche character like that stood out from everyone else in something so. yeah there's no, really... there's no, yeah there's no like psychological uh thing a uh, profile that we can gather from that um, <laughs> but... and on that yeah. note uh so i find that i often like to play characters that specialize mm-hmm. um in one particular thing because for me that sort of resonates with the fun of playing as these sort of heroic characters right. So my character might not be able to do everything, but like when it comes to the one thing my character is really good at, they're like this world renowned kind of ability at this one particular task. Yeah. Do you find, um, do other people find like, I I completely agree with that, Harrison. Like I, and you guys may have noticed playing with me in the past, like I tend to stick to a very typical, um, the fact that I'm not a dwarf fighter right now is like really making me outside (laughs) of my comfort zone. Um, <laughs> yeah, now that you're, in, let's be honest. Yeah, that you're just a taller fighter. I literally never played a magic user, like um, interesting, and in, in any game I've ever played. But yeah. my backstory is generally pretty similar as well. Like, there's this like either loner aspect to them, like they're on their own, or they've got like some tragic backstory, and maybe it's just like because I like drama so much but like drama as in like office drama not like uh you know uh plays but yeah um also there's there's nothing wrong with the theater um we're all uh everyone here at playquest supports the theater and uh thinks that it's an important uh artistic medium uh so everyone everyone here at playquest also really supports petty ass drama yes so when karen is angry because someone has not washed their dish after an hour i relish those emails (laughs) I sometimes think that um, I gravitate towards loner characters or backstories like that because I sometimes find it difficult or daunting to sort of create this rich world. If my character wasn't a loner, if my character had a full life, I sort of want to think about like what that life was like before my character started adventuring. And then it starts getting sort of taxing. Like, well, so if I have a big, if I have a family that I have relationships with, then like, who is that family and what are my relationships to them? And why did I leave to go adventuring and why I run into them? And so it seems like it, it really can like get to the point of like, there's a lot more to think about for your character, as opposed to if you're just thinking my character is an orphan who sets out on this like one mission that sort of is easier to like, start small and then as you play work out you know it's almost like literature right so it's like um you know so like the character that serves as the pov for the for the for the audience is almost always like someone who's being introduced in a certain sense to the to the secondary world or whatever uh so like it's it's almost it's almost useful like unless you have like a really really set idea of what you wanted to do like you just and, and and if you do, like, it's kind of a rabbit hole. Yeah, I can imagine. Like, just, you know, like, oh, God, now I have to answer every question in this fictional secondary life. Well, also, you know, I think D&D, the way that D&D uh, campaigns and parties are usually structured lends itself to that um, a, a bunch of loners coming together because everyone is, like, creates their character, usually separate, comes to the first session, um, and then is kind of tossed into these you know, in our case, like four other characters that in theory they haven't had any interaction with. And so um, 
to create a story behind that. It's like, oh, I have this very loving family um, and (laughs) I have a profession. And, you know, it's like, well, why are you out um, doing this thing that is outside of um, kind of the like societal structure for everything else? I I think that like the way that D&D is set up creates that that like trope but also you know kind of a natural narrative as well that brings us to a really uh nice point chuck um this is a question i wanted to ask you guys uh do, do you guys think it's easy to tell stories in in the dungeons and Dragons system yes and no i think um kyle f- pick a side you can't you can't be the first person <laughs> you can't be the first person to say that my question's dumb like uh, just, just why, <laughs> if not me, then somebody else would get to say your question's dumb, and then I don't get that. Dibs, dibs. Damn it! All right, well Chuck called it, so Chuck can tell you. Um, I'll I'll just say like for me, it's very easy. It, like I think that it is um a like a system inherently designed to um to like do the thing you want to do with it. Um. And what I want to do with like all games that I play is tell stories. And so um, for me, it's very easy. And and again, I think that like, it is also easy to have a like, to have a board game D&D. Um, but because that's like, not what I want to do with it, I want to tell stories that it like, it, it creates itself well. Um, and that really anytime you're like, um, solving problems, like through a specific lens, like that sets up room for story. Yeah, I, I think, I, I think so. So, like one of the things that's always struck me about D anD D, and I guess it's it's technically true of role playing in general, and and why I love it so much is this: when you immerse yourself in like another identity, and you have, like you said, sort of like problems presented to you. There's this interesting thing where we start engaging, I think, in empathy in a way that we often neglect, I think, in normal life. So you have to be this other person. And if you're playing, I think, forgive me, but if you're playing right, then the the, the questions that you're asking yourself and the answers that you're giving are directly a product of this fictional identity that, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to, you know, like take part in or like, you know, <laughs> like ride inside of it almost. And that I think tells you a lot about like what you think about other kinds of peoples and stuff, um, you know, and like, so, yeah, playing Dungeons and Dragons makes you a better person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. fuck yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. yeah. Only if you play the way Cal wants you to play, though. If you are a munchkin who just min maxes and wants to get all the treasure, then you can get the fuck out of Cal's table. That's right. GTFO, what? yo. There's a lot of ways to play. Well, I was about to say, I, I'm curious if if, uh, if Liz and, and Harrison might be dissenting voices in this. <laughs> I, Cal, when you were saying that, I was thinking that coming from a sort of board game mentality, in a board game, when like your character dies, you lose the board game. I mean, with most board games, I mean, um, playing D and D, I find that like my impulse, my impulse, Harrison's impulse, is always to like to keep my character alive because that character dying would be definitely a loss, would be the worst thing that could happen, and that's definitely sort of a difficult thing for me in D&D is sometimes I'm thinking like, oh, 
this is the kind of thing that could get fast killed mm. but i sort of i try and think about like is this the kind of thing Basque would risk his life for um even if harrison would never like in, in a board game would never put Bast in a r- risky situation because in a board game i would try and protect the piece or something oh yeah uh, so i find that to be like a difficult yeah thing. I, I and agree. there's i mean uh, that that was my sort of answer was like it's definitely easier to tell the story when you have an idea of like what your character would want or to develop your character's backstory or whatever as you play. Uh, but the hard part, like um, Harrison said, is really like making those decisions for your character as your character rather than like from a gaming aspect. Right. Sort of like um instead of like top down like oh this is what will be best for this person you know versus like what does you know my character bob like what 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 would he think is best and i think the reality is is that like the 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 coolest talent that or talent maybe wrong word that you can eventually acquire or like the the greatest skill of role playing is figuring out how to make decisions that are not in your own interest. In some ways, the most uh, poignant moments in any role-playing game I've ever had have been when a character dies in a meaningful way. Like, not just, just you know, you like... characters die all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it means a lot to you. Not one of them has been meaningful. <laughs> oh, that's hurtful. Okay. Uh, just just, as, just yeah, as a perspective so- to the listeners, uh, a character that put a lot of work and time and into crafting and uh, right down to, to the very cores of her religion um, w- was was unceremoniously uh, eaten and digested by a frog <laughs> while the rest of the party did something useful. They, by, by useful, so we I'm mean abandoned offer... me. That's what happened. Well, we weren't attached to you. It all goes back to well, the story, you know? You weren't in our yeah. lives, really. You were just this frog that joined us on an adventure, and we weren't connected. Oh no! I think. Oh, no, then, then, because yeah. if there if if there wasn't other interesting psychological profiles we can draw from all these things, no, you're thinking of when the next call a character made where he became <laughs> the thing that killed his last one right. by playing the toad person. Yeah, he lived though. He yeah, lived. He, he made it out uh, uh, deeply, deeply scarred in a lot of ways, physically and mentally. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so Cal, maybe you're playing. A game with D&D 2, but you're playing a game where your wing condition is you're setting out trying to kill your character in a memorable way. So maybe maybe you're the same as the power gamer who's trying to win by like killing all the monsters and not dying, but you've just like come into it with a different starting perspective on how you win the board. Game. Right, I'm just looking for an interesting or, or interesting death. I'm like some kind of crazed sort of like indoctrinated medieval warrior looking for my honorable death. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I, I can get on board with that. <laughs> Instead of a power gamer, you're like a power plot or or something. Well, that's a great way to 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 uh, say what what we're gonna say next, and before we jump into the game. So uh, I find it wildly difficult to tell stories in Dungeons and Dragons. I've been trying to tell stories in Dungeons and Dragons uh, with with all of you guys for a, a long time. I've been uh, DMing for a number of you uh, for a while, and we've all uh, pretty much almost all of us have DM'd for each other at one point or another. Uh, I've put in a few other mechanics into the game that I think will help drive the plot and 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 more easily integrate uh, you guys' stories. Because one of the hardest things to do is that I, I think that 
what a lot of you have said, like Chuck and, and a number of people is right, that like it is a really interesting system to be able to tell a story and you can make a lot out of it. But then when you try to put a lot of people together uh, into that story, it can be, become hard without seeming like, you know, Stalinist um, in, in your plot development. So we've added a few interesting things uh, to this game. Uh, one of the things you might have noticed in the last episode is that everybody was kind of coy when, when talking to each other and their characters about something. So each of these characters has a secret um, that none of the other characters or players know about uh, with each other. Uh, and they have to keep that secret for as long as they're able to. Or otherwise, there's repercussions within the game should they lose it. Um, so you guys will kind of uh, hear that and see that as we play through the game. Everyone has kind of worked and collaborated together to make their secrets, and I think they're all really fun, uh, and, and, and they're going to, uh, I think, really enhance some of the storytelling aspects of the game. The other thing that we're including in the game is um, a system that is in D&D that rewards uh, things. It's usually called hero points, but we're putting it into this system, and it's called plot points. So there are, in the locations that you guys will travel around in here in the Fondin Valley, in each of the places you'll go to, there are plot points. Assuming you guys make it uh, through the forest, there'll, there'll be three plot points in Duggan, and those are specific pieces of information that you guys can learn about what's going on in Duggan and about what's going on in the area. In general, there is sort some kinds of like uh, imbalance or, or, or strange things going on in each of these places. Uh, some of them your characters are already kind of aware for. Uh, aware of and uh yeah we'll, we'll kind of let the listeners in on as as we move through it um but yeah we're we're definitely uh in in some kind of like horrible uh deep dark nightmare that no one really knows they're in yet uh in a lot of ways uh to that end here's where i want to start um basically right where we left off you're alone in the forest hieronymus is covered in blood he's dragged out ingus uh your your gnome ranger guide uh, his dead body uh, out of the forest. It looks like from some kind of awful, terrible wounds. Um, daylight is breaking through the forest. It's it's just a, a, it's a kind of the beginning of dusk here. Um, wait, or is dusk the end or the beginning? That's the end. Ah, dang it. What's the well, I mean sunrise? But like, what's that called? You know that dawn. Dawn. Hmm. How are all of your characters feeling at this point? Let's uh, let's let the listeners a little bit inside their heads since you guys have kind of been keeping a, a tight rein on that because of your secrets but yeah like now that you guys have been into the forest uh wh how, where's everybody at where's everybody's mood <laughs> i would say that bast is feeling pretty low right now after failing to prevent bear murder last night that was not a good start and then this morning uh, we've managed to get our guide killed, or to not prevent our guide being killed. This is this is very inauspicious. Um, I, I would say, in, in contrast, that Felix essentially is in a position where he finally has a friend, um, and so it's like a little, you know, troubling that someone he just met has been murdered. But I mean, he, you know, growing up in the street, like you know, bad things happen, and they seem to happen you know, without reason. So Felix basically just shrugs that off and it's like, oh, well, that sucked, you know. Um, but it's just kind of like looking at his forearm, you know, you know, whenever he thinks someone isn't paying attention to him and it's just like sort of musing to himself about 
finally having somebody to talk to. That's ice cold, man. (laughs) (laughs) I think similarly, Drew Deer is um, pumped about the day on top of the world, really, after being reunited with Philip. It all seems like a dream. Drew Deer's not even sure this is really happening. So a little respect for the dead. (laughs) Well, I, for one, think that we should bury Ingus. No way. That takes too much time. This forest has already fucked us enough. We gotta get out of here. Um, um <laughs> talk about me being I agree. We we need to we need to leave now. Yeah. You know what? I'm with I'm with the big guy today. We gotta go. What has this forest done for us except just absolutely mess us up? Well it's even when you even when you tried it like I tried to be good to everything in here, and the reward I got was getting bit and stomped on until I was almost dead, and then almost eaten by a bear, as far as I remember. Okay, it. I hear you guys that we need to get out of here quickly. So, uh, Nick, would I would my character would it be possible for me to carry Ingus's body as we try and make our way out of the forest? Uh, yeah, go ahead. What's your what's your carry capacity there, big shot? With your big old carry capacity, huh? actually adding on to my carrying capacity before we advent before we trek into the forest which could be dangerous i would like to take the next 10 minutes to don my armor so that i may gain its benefits to my armor class yeah you can do that no problem but it will make it a bit harder to carry ingus you'll probably take disadvantage on some things as you travel through the forest well could we tie him on the dog (laughs) just let the dog drag him can I not scratch, but like kind of gently pat uh, Hieronymus's head and, you know, just be like, Hieronymus, we need you to get us out of here. We'll uh, we'll do right by Ingus, but we got to get out of here. Yeah. Uh, give me that handle animal skill, Chuck. Oh, it went so very, very well last <laughs> time. Uh, twelve. Yeah. So at twelve, Hieronymus is a good dog and he and he likes you. <laughs> but he is distraught over the death of Ingus, and he gives a kind of nod and and a leans into your your pat a little bit. He likes that comfort, but you can tell he doesn't really want to do anything as long as Ingus's body is laying here unattended. He's really concerned and pawing over it. Okay, we can carry I'm more than Ingus, happy to carry right? Ingus. Yeah, I mean, he's a gnome. My, my carrying capacity is like. About 250 pounds. So I think even with all my gear, I can do another 85. Um, hearing hearing this conversation, Ukog will uh, just walk over to Ingus's body and sort of like gently pick it up and start carrying it. Yeah, Hieronymus likes that. He wags his tail and runs his face up against your leg or something and then uh, bounds off into the forest turns around quickly and looks at you guys and barks and then heads off down a path. Let's follow him. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Okay, here's what's going to happen. The forest is indeed a spooky, scary place, but Hieronymus is an excellent guide. He knows the way around here and he knows how to get you guys to dug in. It's actually more about you guys slowing him down as you fuddle your way through the forest 
and try to keep pace with the dog. So what I need from all of you guys is a survival check. And what we're going to do is a tiered check. So depending on what number you roll, something different might happen to you in your journey out of the forest. Maybe a condition will be applied. Maybe you'll be fine. Maybe you'll find something. Uh, but we'll see. So what are those survival check numbers? Seven. I rolled a 13 for my survival check. Eight for Bast. Seven for Drew Deer. Nine for Ukog. Who? It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of single digits. <laughs> oh, geez. Um, so does that mean everybody got below 10? Is that what I heard? Except for... No, uh, not everyone. I rolled a, a 13. Which is an unlucky number for reference. It's a great number. I can't believe that you fucks are going to drag me down again. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, here's what happens. So your average check to get out of here, even though uh, Windrill did a little better than everybody, it's still pretty bad. You guys are bad at moving as a group through the forest, and you take almost an entire extra day to get to Duggan. So by the time that you get there, normally you would have been arriving in like, you know, late morning or mid-afternoon, uh, it's going to be pretty much the evening. That's not the worst of it, though. Um, uh, the rest of you make it out okay without having a condition applied to you, except for you, Cal. Um, Felix is now diseased. You, I think, were playing with something odd in the forest, a little too close, and you are covered in a disgusting rash from head to toe. Uh, <laughs> wow. I don't feel so great. <laughs> and you, Drew Deer, despite your adept druid stuff, you touched the wrong leaf. Uh, and it does not go well with your turtle, uh, sorry, your turtle anatomy. And uh, you're poisoned. You make it through the forest, you're totally beleaguered as you bust out of a tree line near a small village called Duggan. And that's where we'll call it for tonight. Join us here next week where we let these fools dive deep, deep into a mystery that's way too big for them. Uh, it'll be fun to listen to. And if you're picking up what we're putting down, that is, you're enjoying what we're doing here on PlayQuest and you want to see us keep doing some more, there's a few ways that you can reach out to us to let us know. First of all, leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend. You can reach out to us on Twitter at PlayQuestPod. That's our handle there. And you can also email us at PlayQuestPod at gmail.com. Uh, we would love to hear from you about literally anything. We want to give a big thanks to our audio engineers, Dave and Kevin, for making the creepy music that you hear in our intro and outro. Thanks for listening. Good night.